morning. How's everyone doing this morning? I'm actually going to start off by praying today, so if you just um, bow your heads and, and I'm going to open us in prayer. Lord, uh, we open our hearts before you this morning. Father, we give you space to speak into our lives. Lord, would your word transform us this morning? Would you breathe on it by your spirit? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. How's everyone doing this morning? Yep, made it to church. I had a good week until last night. My team lost. Then I got up an hour early and it was raining, but anyway, if you're just joining us this week, as Sam said, we've been in a series for three weeks now called Taking the Land, uh, and this series is all about looking at what enabled the ancient Israelites to take hold of the promises that God had given them. He gave them a, a promise of a land, and we're looking at what enabled them to take their inheritance. Uh, and as we've said each week, this is significant for us because Israel's journey out of slavery in Egypt and into their promises is a picture of our life in Christ. Christ saves us by his grace alone, but then after that, he lays up, he lays up promises for us that we are to take by faith. And so in this series, we're looking at what enabled them to take their promises that we might apply that same posture to our lives and begin to walk in the fullness of what Christ has made available. So we've looked at a few things so far. In week one, we looked at the story of the 12 spies, which really contrasted like a spirit of faith with a spirit of unbelief. We learned that 10 of the 12 spies didn't believe God. They, they, they saw the obstacles as bigger than God, and that robbed them of taking their inheritance, whereas the two spies that trusted the word of God, they claimed their inheritance for them and the generations to come. Then last week, we looked at their first battle when they went into the land. We looked at the battle of Jericho, and we, we learned that it was like this imposing, uh, these imposing walls. It would seem impossible, but they won that battle on a backdrop of reliance on God, on worship, and, and on obedience, the willingness to trust God's word uh, and put that first. And so now where we are in the story, we're actually going to be in between week one and week two. We're going to jump back a little bit and we're going to be in the story uh, during these 40 years where they're wandering in the wilderness. And so I've got a title for you this morning for your notes. Um, the title for today's message is, Your Freedom is My Freedom. Your Freedom is My Freedom. Um, and to help you understand where we are today, I'm going to actually bring up a slide and just kind of put my teacher hat on for a little bit, and I think a visual here will really help. So um, I've got my pole that I'm going to point at. So this is a picture <laughs> of uh, Israel's here, but the Israelites came out of Egypt they went across the Red Sea by God's grace, and then God began to lead them through the wilderness. They were given the law down here at Mount Horeb, and after that, they made their way up to Kadesh Barnea, and that's where we were in week one. Uh, they reckon this is about a two to three month journey, and so they sent the spies out here into the promised land. They came back with the bad report, and Israel gets condemned to 40 years in the wilderness. They think it's only about a, a nine-day journey from here to, to where they'd cross into the land, but they spent 40 years wandering because of their unbelief. And so they think they spent the majority of their time here, but as the 40 years was coming to an end, God would begin to lead them around this path here. 
They had a few detours because the kingdoms here wouldn't let them pass through. And they'd eventually make their way right up here to the top. And this is where they crossed the Jordan last week and fought the battle at Jericho. Now, before that, during the 40 years, Israel actually wins two significant battles, one here and one further upwards, and they drive out the inhabitants, and they're actually occupying this land on the east side of the Jordan. The land that God has promised them is on this side, but they've won battles, and they're actually occupying land on this side. They haven't, yet, they haven't quite yet crossed, and that is where we are in the story. So everyone kind of got that? Okay. Back to my seat. Okay, so now that we know where we are, we're going to read a passage, and that's the context that we're in this morning. So we're reading from Numbers 32, verse 1. The Reubenites and Gadites, so these are two of the 12 Israelite tribes, who had very large herds and flocks. They were good farmers. Rob, are you a Gadite? (laughs) Uh, anyway, um, saw the lands of Jazir and Gilead were suitable for livestock. So this was the land that I just talked about that's east of the river. They're saying like, man, this land's really good for us. We've got all of this cattle and it's perfect. So they came to Moses and Eleazar the priest and to the leaders of the community and said, Adaroth, Debon, Jazir, Nimrah, Heshbon, Eliah, Sebum, Nebu, and beyond. So these are all cities in that land. The land the Lord subdued before the people of Israel are suitable for livestock, and your servants have livestock. He's sort of saying, if you didn't know, this is great for people with cattle, and we've got cattle. Uh, If we have found favor in your eyes, they said, "Let, let this land be given to your servants as our possession. Do not make us cross the Jordan. So they're saying, we don't need to go across there. This is sweet for us. We're happy this side of the river. Moses said to the Gadites and Reubenites, should your fellow Israelites go to war while you sit here? Should they go and fight for this land while you just sit here in your good land? Why do you discourage the Israelites from crossing over into the land the Lord has given them? This is what your fathers did when I sent them from Kadesh Barnea to look over the land. He's saying, can't you remember 40 years ago, this is the same thing. After they went up to the valley of Eshkel and viewed the land, they discouraged the Israelites from entering the land the Lord had given them. The Lord's anger was aroused that day, and he swore this oath, because they have not followed me wholeheartedly, not one of those who were 20 years old or more when they came up out of Egypt will see the land I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Not one except Caleb, son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, and Joshua, son of Nun, for they followed the Lord wholeheartedly. That was week one. The Lord's anger burned against Israel and he made them wander in the wilderness 40 years until the whole generation of those who have done evil in his sight was gone. And here you are, a broad of sinners, standing in the place of your fathers and making the Lord even more angry with Israel. He's saying, you're repeating the same pattern. If you turn away from following him, he will again leave all this people in the wilderness and you will be the cause of their destruction. He's saying, are you guys going to make us wander another 40 years in the wilderness? Moses is probably pretty angry. Then they came up and said, we would like to build pens here for our livestock and cities, for our women and children, but we will arm ourselves for battle and go ahead of the Israelites until we have brought them to their place. 
Meanwhile, our women and children will live in fortified cities for protection from the inhabitants of the land. We will not return to our homes until each of the Israelites has received their inheritance. So they're saying, no, no, we're making a commitment that we will not rest, we will not claim our inheritance, we will not live in our freedom until all of the Israelites have their freedom. We will not receive any inheritance with them on the other side of the Jordan because our inheritance has come to us on the east side of the Jordan. Then Moses said this to them, if, I want you to say if, if you will do this, If you will arm yourselves before the Lord for battle, and if all you who are armed cross over the Jordan before the Lord until he has driven his enemies out before them, before him, then when the land is subdued before the Lord, you may return and be free from your obligation to the Lord and to Israel. And this land will be your possession before the Lord. He's saying, if you will go and fight for your brothers, if you will go and help them get their freedom, if you will go and pick up your sword and drive out the inhabitants on their side of the land, then you can return and settle in yours. But if you fail to do this, you will be sinning against the Lord, and you may be sure that your sin will be found out. Probably quite a scary thought coming from Moses. Then Moses goes on to relay this to Joshua, who's going to take them in, and he says, hey, if these guys go and battle for their brothers, they are to have this inheritance, but if they fail to fight for others, they are not to have this land. And so we'll skip ahead now to to where the tribes are actually ready to go into the land, and this is the instructions that Joshua gives uh, to the Reubenites and Gadites, and there was actually one extra tribe called Manasseh. So Joshua 1, it says this, So Joshua ordered the officers of the people, go through the camp and tell the people, get your provisions ready. Three days from now, you will cross the Jordan here to go in and take possession of the land the Lord your God is giving you for your own. But to the Reubenites and Gadites and the half-tribe of Manasseh, Joshua said, remember the command that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you after he said, the Lord your God will give you rest by giving you this land. Your wives, your children, and your livestock may stay in the land that Moses gave you east of the Jordan, but all your fighting men ready for battle must, must cross over ahead of your fellow Israelites. You are to help them until the Lord gives them rest as he has done for you and until they too have taken possession of that land the Lord your God is giving them. After that, you may go back and occupy your own land, which Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you east of the Jordan towards the sunrise. So he relays these same instructions. He says, when you have helped them get their inheritance, when you have fought for their freedom, when they have rest, then you may enter your rest. In doing that, you will find your own freedom. And there's a big lesson for us to learn here today. And so I want to spend some time just drawing a few things out of these scriptures this morning. So if you're taking notes, the first thing we can learn from this, from this passage is we must resist the temptation to settle. We must resist the temptation to settle. You know, the natural inclination of the human heart is to gear towards self. It's to gear towards our own security It's to gear towards our own wants. It's to go towards our own desires. And so we must be aware that when we find a sense of freedom and security in our lives, we will face the temptation to set up shop, 
to enjoy our own freedom, to pitch our tent, to hunker down and just enjoy our lives and lose sight of the mission and the ministry that God has given us. You know, just like in the story, those tribes, they tasted their inheritance. They tasted their freedom. They had won a couple of big battles. They could, they could see it. Life was good. They had this, this good land for their livestock. But God's saying, no, 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 no. Don't set up shop here. I've got a mission for you. You are to fight for others. You are to stay on course. You are to fight for your brothers. You are to pick up your sword. You have a mission and a ministry for you to walk in. And it's the same for us. God has given us a mission and a ministry that we are to be active in in all of the different seasons we go through in life. And none of us are immune to this temptation to settle. None of us are immune to that. It's, we're particularly vulnerable when life is going well, when we're feeling good, when we're feeling free. We can be tempted just to settle. We can be tempted to become self-focused. We can be tempted to live in our bottle. The, temp- the, the temptation can be, I'm just going to enjoy my life now. I'm just going to accumulate experiences. I'm just going to coast through. Life's pretty good for me. Or I'm just going to acquire possessions and build up my portfolio and enjoy all my stuff. Or I'm going to move here and spend five years here and then I'm going to go there and then I'm going to go there without actually submitting our plans to the Lord and recognizing he has a mission for us, that he has a ministry for us to walk in. You know, we can all be vulnerable to this because the human heart always gears towards going to looking after self. You know, another time we're particularly vulnerable is in life's transitions, You know, when our kids leave home and we're empty nesters and all of a sudden we've got this newfound freedom. We've we've had kids at home for 20, 30 years and now all of a sudden we've got all of this time and all of these resources and more money and we can easily fall into the trap of being like, I'm just going to go away every weekend now in my caravan. Um, Yeah, it sounds great. We'll get to why you shouldn't do that later on. But but, uh, God wants you to enjoy this new season, but it's easy to drift and lose sight that God actually still wants you to live on mission. He still has a part for you to play in the story. You still have an active ministry, and if we're not careful, we can can drift away and become self-focused. You know, when we go into retirement, the, 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 the voice that the world would tell you is it's time to set up shop, You've worked hard your whole life, just drift into eternity. But God has plans for you in retirement. He has a mission for you in retirement. There are people for you to reach in retirement. You still have a lot to add in retirement. You are a valuable member of the church of God in retirement. There are things that you can do in retirement that you can't do anywhere else. Don't fall into the lie of settling. God still has a purpose for you. You know, when we have kids... The temptation can be like, oh, it's just about me and my family now. I need to look after them. I need to set up for them. We need to have experience together and build memories as a family. And of course, God wants us to do that. But he wants us to serve him together. He wants, him to, he wants us to have him at the center. We, we need to stay focused that we still have a mission and a ministry. Same as when you get married. It can become all about your spouse. But God wants you to serve him together. We must be mindful of this temptation to settle because God wants us to enjoy our lives. Don't, don't hear me wrong. God wants us to enjoy these seasons. 
God wants us to enjoy like the new rhythms, the, 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 the new times. And there's, a different type, there's different uh, things for different seasons, but within them all, God still has a mission and a ministry for each of us. He never wants us to lose sight that there is a broken, hurting, lost world that without Christ uh, has no eternal hope and we are his messengers to bring that hope. We are his messengers to bring that hope. We need to live on mission. And we also need to recognize is that we're a member of the household of God. And in every season, we have something to offer. We have a part to play. They use the analogy of a body where if, if all the pieces of the body are showing up and playing their part, the church thrives and is healthy. But when there's only a few members playing their part, the church doesn't thrive and it's not healthy. It's kind of like building a house. It doesn't matter how good the builders are. If you don't have the plumbers and the electricians and the drain layers and the concreters and the plasterers, the house isn't going to be built because it requires diversity. It requires everyone to show up and play their part. Mark 16, 15 says this. He said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. That is our mission. And that never changes, whether we're newlywed, whether we're an empty nester, whether we're retired. It might look different in these different seasons, but we are called to live a life that exemplifies the gospel, and we are called to share the gospel. We are not to lose sight of a life of mission. And then Peter, 1 Peter 4.10 says this, Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. Peter's saying each and every one of us have a, has a gift, and that gift doesn't expire when we move into a different life stage. We always have a gift. We always have something to bring, and he's saying, steward it. Use it well. Use it to serve others. Use it to bless others. Use it to build up. Use it to edify. Do not bury your gift. You know, let's resist the temptation to settle and just be aware that, hey, none of us are immune to it. We all have a heart that is, is, is gearing towards looking after self, but in the midst of that, God wants us to focus on others. The second thing we learn from this passage is that we will be held accountable for how we use our lives. So verse 20 to 23 said this, then Moses said to them, if you will do this, if you will arm yourselves before the Lord for battle, and if all of you who are armed cross over the Jordan before the Lord until he has driven his enemies out before him, when the land is subdued before the Lord, you may return and be free from your obligation to the Lord and to Israel. And this land will be your possession before the Lord. And then this is what he says, but if you fail to do this, you will be sinning against the Lord and you may be sure that your sin will find you out. We see in these verses that the Lord actually viewed a failure to actually fight for others, a failure to stay on mission, a failure to help others get their inheritance. He actually viewed it as sin. A failure to actually uh, uh, stopping and focusing and setting up shop and just enjoying their freedom, it was wrong in the Lord's eyes. And I believe he still sees that as wrong today. And what we need to remember is that as Christians, we're actually going to stand before the Lord one day, and we're going to give an account for how we stewarded what he gave us. And I think often we don't recognize that. Often we, often we understand that we're saved by God's grace and that alone, but after that, we will be rewarded based on our faithfulness. 
I'm going to say that again. Where we spend eternity is based on what Christ has done for us in our faith in Christ, but how we will spend eternity, our reward in heaven, is based on how faithful we are with what God has put in our hands. With how we steward our time, our resources, our talents, and our gifts, God will reward us on that. Paul talks about this in 2 Corinthians 5. He says this, and he's talking to believers here. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, each and every one of us, so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done well in the body, whether good or bad. And again, this is not about our eternal abode. This is about our reward. This is about our inheritance. This is about what we will attain when we enter eternity. And if we fall into the trap of becoming self-focused and settled and looking out for number one, we're going to be very disappointed when we stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Because we would have spent our time investing in something that only lasts 80 years instead of laying up the true riches in heaven that we will have forever. You know, when we get to heaven, I believe the Lord is going to ask us these sorts of questions. How did you steward what I gave you? How did you steward what I gave you? How did you use it? Did you use your time and energy to build my kingdom? Or were you all about building your own kingdom? Was it really about me? Or was it actually all about you? Those gifts I gave you, those talents I gave you, those opportunities I gave you, did you use them? Did you build people up? Did you serve? Or did you bury them? Were you too busy doing other things? Those resources I gave you, that money I gave you, did you use it to build my kingdom? Did you use it to fund the things I care most about? Or did you spend it all on yourself? Those are the kind of things that we're, we're going to be asked. And it's quite sobering, but it's true. And the good news is, is that when we live a life for Christ and he's number one, we have an eternal inheritance waiting for us. It's good news. And obviously when we get there, the Lord isn't expecting perfection but I think he is expecting a heart that is soft and that during this life was like, yeah, Lord, I'm doing my best to keep you number one. I'm keeping on turning back to you. I'm looking to build your kingdom. I'm focused on eternal perspective. My eyes are fixed on that as what is above, not, as what, not of what is below. And when we do that, we are laying up an eternal reward for us. But when we fail to do that, we have some good times in this life and we soon recognize that we are investing in the wrong kingdom. The final thing we learn from this passage is that the Gadites and the Reubenites and Manasseh, they found their freedom when they fought for the freedom of others. So after Israel had driven out all of the tribes in the promised land, they had driven them all out, they had all settled, they had all been given rest, this is what Joshua said to those tribes. Joshua 22. Then Joshua summoned Oh, and if I could just have mic up. Then Joshua summoned the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh and said to them, You have done all that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded, and you have obeyed me in everything I commanded. For a long time now to this very day, you have not deserted your fellow Israelites, but have carried out the mission. Say mission. You have carried out the mission the Lord your God gave you. Now that the Lord your God has given them rest as he promised, return to your homes in the land that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you 
on the other side of the Jordan. You know, they found their rest. They found their freedom. They found their inheritance. They enjoyed that luscious land that was good for their cattle. They found it. But they found it by fighting for others. They found it by staying on mission for others. They found it by building up others. They inherited it as they lived for others. And I think that's the great paradox of the Christian faith is that often we think that when we lay our lives down that we're losing out. That when we, uh, that when we surrender our lives to Christ and we, we pick up our cross and we follow his life of mission and ministry that we're going to lose out. That our life's going to be less. But it's actually where we find life. It's where we find true life. It's where we find true fellowship with the Lord. It's where we find true purpose and meaning. It's where our soul kind of comes alive, where we live in the lives that God always designed us to live. You know, Matthew 10, 39, Jesus said it like this. If you cling to your life, like if you hold tight to your life, if you preserve it, if you protect it, if you, if you cling to it, if you won't lay it down, you will lose it. You'll lose that life. But if you will give it up, But if you give up your life for me, you'll find it. If you give it up, if you surrender it, if you trust me, if you lay it down and if you say, Lord, I'm living for you, you'll find true life. That's the paradox that as we give our lives away, we find it. And the thing we need to remember is we can trust God. We go back to the cross and we remember that if he didn't want the best for my life, why would he hang up on that cross? and be tortured and crucified, why would he do it? If he didn't really want what's best for me, why would he go through that? You can trust him because he's proven it. He's verified it. He died for me and you. Now, I just want to recap what we've been talking about today. Today, we've been looking at the the story of the Gadites, the Ruminites, and Manasseh and how they had to go and fight for the freedom of others that they might obtain their freedom. And we talked about three things. The first thing was we need to resist the temptation to settle. There'll always be a temptation to set up shop. There'll always be a temptation to just become self-focused. And this is not about caring for self, by the way. It's healthy to care for self. It's when we drift and we actually just live selfish lives that revolve around self. We need to resist that and recognize that at every single life stage, God has still called us to live on mission and he's still given us a ministry in the body of believers. The second thing we looked at is that we were reminded that we'll give an account for how we use our lives, that we'll stand before the Lord and we'll say, hey, how did you steward? Sam, how did you use what I gave you? And man, wouldn't it be awesome if we were like, man, I didn't get it perfect, but I did my best to, to use what you gave me. I used my gifts, I used my resources to build your kingdom. And the Lord will say, enter, good and faithful servant. Here is your inheritance. You were faithful with a lot, so I've got a lot for you. And the final thing we learned is that they actually found their freedom when they fought for the freedom of others. And there's scripture, there's lots of scriptures that would support that. That when we live a life of serving others, and fighting for the freedom of others, we often find our freedom in that context. As we give our lives away, we find it. Now that's what we learned today.